Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a couple of Super Bowl-themed topics for you. And if you're not into football, I also have a topic for Puppy Bowl fans. Let's get started. According to the American Gaming Association, in 2019, people bet about $6 billion, yes, billion dollars on the outcome of the Super Bowl. So I think it's safe to say that a lot of people are thinking about odds right now. But do you want your team's odds to be high or low? Low odds mean something is likely, and high odds mean something is unlikely. But many people get the two confused. High odds mean that if you've placed a bet, you'll win a high payout. And low odds mean that if you've placed a bet, you'll win a lower payout. For example, low odds are something like 2 to 1 against. These odds mean something is somewhat likely to happen. The odds are low that Squiggly will ask for a chocolate dessert. Squiggly loves chocolate. The odds are low that there will be an earthquake in California in the next decade. So if you had made a two-to-one bet for a dollar that Squiggly would ask for a chocolate dessert, and he did, you would win two dollars. High odds would be something like 99-to-one against. If you bet on a team with those odds, you'd be happy if they won because you'd win a lot of money. But these aren't the odds you want if you need something to happen because 99-to-one is a long shot. Here are two more examples. The odds are high that Squiggly will participate in the X Games. The odds are high that there will be an earthquake in Phoenix in the next hour. If you had made a 99-to-1 bet for a dollar that there'd be an earthquake in Phoenix, and then there was one, you'd win $99. High odds yield a high payout. Now, if that feels backwards to you, don't feel bad. I found it confusing, too, so much so that I consulted with a mathematician to make sure I was getting it right. He pointed out that you need to remember that mathematically, odds and probability are not the same thing. A high probability does mean that something is more likely to happen. But colloquially, outside the world of mathematics, many people treat odds and probability as the same thing. Further complicating matters, odds for the same event can be presented in different ways. For example, one person might think of the odds of rolling a six on a regular six-sided die as one to five in favor, and another person might think of the odds as five to one against. The problem is that the phrases high odds and low odds are just confusing. When you talk about odds being high, your reader can interpret that as meaning that something is likely— or unlikely. The same goes with calling odds low. So to be clear in your writing, to make sure everyone understands what you mean, it's better to describe the likelihood of something happening in a different way. Instead of saying the odds are high or low, you can say there's a good chance or a high probability of something happening if you mean it's likely. And if you must use odds, it's better to say they're good or bad instead of high or low. That's the safest bet. And if you're betting on the game, I wish you luck. Now let's talk a little bit about the referees, because it's a good opportunity to explain the difference between the words disinterested and uninterested. An uninterested person is bored, unconcerned, or indifferent. And a disinterested person is impartial, 
unbiased, or has no stake in the outcome. You want the referee of your game to be disinterested. You don't want the referee to have a bet on the game. As another example, if you're on trial, you want a disinterested judge. Generally, unless you're a lawyer, the word you're looking for is uninterested. But a quick news search shows that disinterested also frequently appears. Here's how to use these words according to the traditional rules. Squiggly was uninterested in the Super Bowl. Instead, he was looking forward to the Puppy Bowl. The ex-wife can hardly be considered a disinterested party in the estate sale. Brian Garner, author of Garner's Modern English Usage, says that many people have given up the fight to preserve the distinction between the two words, but he believes it's worth preserving. The Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage Editors note that their research shows a long history of overlapping use. Uninterested actually originally meant what disinterested is supposed to mean today. And the current distinction between the two only emerged with American usage writers in the late 1800s. Today, Merriam-Webster editors find that disinterested has taken on the additional meaning of uninterested. But it doesn't go the opposite way. Uninterested is only rarely used to mean disinterested. Garner's research shows that today, when people mean someone who has no interest in something, someone who's just bored, for example, about half the time that person is described as uninterested, and about half the time that person is described as disinterested. If you'd like to maintain the traditional distinction, remember that an uninterested person has no interest in something and a disinterested person has no ethical conflicts in the situation at hand. Finally, for you dog lovers, Sunday is also the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet, Puppy Bowl 16 to be exact, in which Team Ruff will face off against Team Fluff. And Puppy Bowl 16 is written with Roman numerals, just like the Super Bowl. Watching all those adorable dogs, you might be wondering about how to write their breed names. Although the website for the American Kennel Club and dog-specific publications such as Bark Magazine and Dogster seem to capitalize all the words in breed names, the Associated Press's rule for dog and cat breeds is to capitalize the part of the name derived from a proper noun and lowercase the part of the name derived from a common noun. Consider these names, English Mastiff, Yorkshire Terrier, Norwegian Elkhound, Bernese Mountain Dog. In those examples, according to AP style, English, Yorkshire, Norwegian, and Bernese are all capitalized because they're derived from proper nouns, the names of places. On the other hand, Mastiff is derived from the Latin mansuetus for tame or mild, Terrier is derived from the Old French chien terrier for dog of the earth, land, or ground. And elk hound is descriptive, as is mountain dog. So those are all common nouns, which means those parts aren't capitalized. And for some breeds, all the words in the name are lowercase, such as basset hound. These hunting dogs were initially bred in France and Belgium, and basset means low in French, describing their lowness to the ground because of their short little legs, all the better to sniff for prey. The Chicago Manual of Style doesn't give instructions that are as specific as those from the Associated Press, but refers writers to Merriam-Webster dictionaries 
which appear to generally follow the same guidelines as the AP. Since styles seem to vary, if you're writing about the puppy bowl, the best advice I can give you is to check the style guide for your publication, or if you're writing for yourself, check a dictionary or choose a style you like and simply use it consistently. Enjoy the show! Finally, I have a familect story from Anna. Hello, Mignon. This is Anna calling from Denver, Colorado. Your story on malpropisms made me think about my grandmother, may her memory be a blessing, who was known for misremembering stories and phrases. For example, she was once known to have said at a party, this is a jumping place, having misremembered the phrase, the place is really hopping. As for a familect, upon seeing me, her first grandchild, for the first time, she exclaimed, my pipsicle. My parents suspected that this was actually a Yiddish word, and upon some research, decided the most likely candidate was the Yiddish word piskala, which means little pisser. They thought this was so hilarious that ever after my family used the word pipsicle, as a term of endearment for a baby girl. I love your show. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Anna. That's funny. If you want to share your family dialect story, the story of a word your family and only your family uses, leave a voicemail at 83-321-4-GIRL, like Anna did, and you might hear it on the show. And be sure to tell me the story behind it, because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, author of the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. You can find me at the home of my podcast network, quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sims, And that's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>